everybody welcome to episode 17 of tldr podcast thank you for hopping on and listening to us talk about some random things again we appreciate the support hopefully we'll give you guys a good one here uh first let's do a little check-in with all the with all the guys uh trading i didn't see you this Yo. weekend I, I i missed you like what's 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 going on with you oh we uh girlfriend and i took a trip up to see her family uh up north it was a nice trip. Uh, played some golf. Played the best round of my life, which is pretty nice. Um, and then we drove home, and it was it was pretty great. I mean, nice relaxing weekend. I missed you guys, but it was kind of a crazy Sunday. I mean, that was like the craziest Sunday I've ever seen. So many upsets. I feel like. Why was it the best round of your life for golf? I went plus fourteen, fifteen. Wow. The whole round. I was, I was, I was I gonna make like a joke and say, "Oh, did you hit plus 30? best round <laughs> james man how how are you holding up i'm sad man the niners are a terrible team and it's depressing to watch <laughs> but other than that i got some good tries got some mind rolls my car didn't get a ticket this weekend so that was cool Tyler yeah. next week i'm sorry bud <laughs> yeah got a ticket at eric's place because eric said it was okay for me to park in the one hour parking and then turns out it wasn't but eric you got a ticket too what happened i know i got a ticket the next day because Apple calendars are fucked. Like, it said don't park on the 2nd and the 4th Monday. And I think it was just me reading the calendar wrong. But I blame Apple (laughs) calendars. And, yeah, I got the same exact ticket, $64. It's fucked. So dumb. Yeah. Alex, all right. So, Lakers win the NBA championship on Sunday. The joy in Lava Land, I think, lasted about three seconds because now we have the Dodgers down 0-2 in their series against the Braves. But uh, real quick, like, obviously, Lake Show winning their, winning their 17th title. How, how is that going? And then how are you feeling about the other, the other team in the playoffs right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm still riding that Lake Show high. So the Dodgers thing is whatever. Um, you know, I was telling my coworker before – the Dodgers got in the playoff. Like I was prepared for them to hurt me again. They're doing it. We <laughs> talked about it. We've talked about it on the podcast uh, multiple times. I think all three of you who are not Dodgers fans have mentioned at least three times. Well, when the Dodgers choke in the playoffs, so I think we were all prepared for that. Uh, the Lakers were great though. I jumped up and down, did some screaming, a uh, bunch of fist pumps. Um, game six was kind of weak though. Like it wasn't. It was over after about 13 Second minutes. quarter yeah yeah so um but other than that you know pretty good congrats to the lakers yeah for sure i got i got my laker jersey on kobe hashtag r.i.p kobe um definitely a, a sweet moment for the lakers there um i think like i said i, I think i'm still kind of focusing on that right now not so much the dodgers and it's also the dodgers it's still a long series we we still got some time but yeah, it was. It's been a little rough there, but more games. Yeah, but uh, congratulations to the, the Los Angeles Lakers—a well-deserved title to LeBron AD. Also, super happy for Dwight Howard. I mean, that guy came with the Lakers years ago, trying to win a title. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Uh, came back this year and helped us win a title. Was super great for us. So I feel really happy for for that guy and the whole Lakers franchise. So definitely a good up moment 
here in Los Angeles. Uh, other than that, uh, we're going to move on with the podcast here. When we come back, James is going to give us your top fantasy wires heading into. Welcome back. We are heading into week six of the NFL season, and uh, James got a lot to talk about. We got some waiver wire pickups here that James is going to talk to us about to help out your fantasy team. James, what you got? I want to start with a fantasy update first for our fantasy football league. I lost to Anthony big time. Anthony's put up 155 points, but now I'm two and three on the year. I think I'm tied for second to last with Trayden. Trayden beat Spear. He's also two and three now. Eric finally lost the game. He was undefeated up until this point. He lost to Tyler. They're Woo! both four and one, tied for first place. Three way oh, yeah. tie right there. And Alex, 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 Alex. He finally won his first game. He's no longer unwinning. Winnable? Unwin. Winning. He hasn't won. He finally won. There we go. That's what <laughs> <laughs> He's one and four. And uh, there's been a lot of schedule changes here because of all the COVID stuff, which means the teams that were on by before are no longer on by. So the new set of teams that are on by this week are the Saints, the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Seahawks. So if you have anybody on those teams, find replacements now. We're going to start with quarterback like we always do. My quarterback pick of the week is Ryan Fitzpatrick, a.k.a. Fitzmagic. He absolutely destroyed my team this weekend. Like, ugh, it was brutal. He's currently owned in 19.9% of leagues. In week five, he had 27.6 points. Overall, he's QB number seven on the year. Who would have thought? Definitely not me. Against San Francisco, he went 20. Two for 28, 350 yards, three touchdowns, and three areas for 16 yards. He scored 20-plus points in every week except for week one. Uh, two weeks ago, I, three weeks ago maybe, added, I mentioned him as an honorable mention for my QB list, and it's really turned out really well because he's been killing it ever since then. Up next, he plays the horrible New York Jets, who just let, who just cut Le'Veon Bell. So they're going to be an even worse team than they were before. Adam Gase, you're a terrible coach. Just quit, dude. Anyway, Eric, you had Dak as your QB, and he went down brutally this weekend with that broken leg. What do you think about Fitzmagic? Would you add him? Uh, yeah, I do have him, actually. I picked him up that yeah. day, taking a shit that morning, just, like, randomly thinking that I needed uh, a, a quarterback for the bye week because it was crazy. I was like, damn, Dak's doing really good this year. I'm going to need someone to just, t you know, replace him for this bye week. I need to look at some guys right now. Looked at the trends, ended up getting Fitz Magic. Um, yeah, and then you witnessed to snap his ankle live. Uh, you live and you learn. I got Fitz Magic now. He's been consistent uh, ever since that Thursday night beatdown on the Jags. He does have 1,344 yards, seven touchdowns, five picks. His running back, Gaskin, Tyler, is starting to take more pressure off the pass game. Uh, where they can run play actions against defenses for big yards. <clears throat> Niners, um, his <laughs> last three games, uh, 26.7 points, 21.3. And then this week I had him on the bench, 30.6 points. Uh, in other words, I'm glad to have him now. Uh, do you think he's going to stay a starter for the rest of the season with Tua being his backup? I think he, uh, he's got a short leash. I mean, shit, the Dolphins are – I think they're like one game behind the Patriots for second in that division. Fitzmagic keeps keeps working the magic 
project. Uh, I think they keep till just a big fuck up is when they put two in. He's doing really well right now, so I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, a couple other notable quarterbacks that I think you should be added is Jared Goff for the Rams. Only 47.1% of the leagues put up 24.4 points. And Teddy Bridgewater from the Panthers, only 43% of the leagues, he put up 20.9 points. Carolina's defense is bad, so the Panthers have to throw a lot. And Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and even Mike Davis, when they had Christian McCaffrey back, they look like a good, solid offense. Teddy Bridgewater is going to get a lot of points. Look to pick him up if you can. Moving on to running back, we have Alexander Madison from Minnesota. Um, he's owned in 41.6% of leagues. In week five, he put up 16.6 points in basically a half. This is because Dalvin Cook got injured. On the season, he only has 41 points, but like I said, he was the back to Dalvin Cook, and Dalvin Cook is out this upcoming week. If you have him, if you have him, you want to handcuff him with Alexander Madison. Um, he does well, well with all his opportunities so far. Seattle, he had 20 carries for 112 yards, which is 5.6 yards per carry. He also had three receptions for 24 yards. On the season as a whole, he averages five yards per carry. The Vikings are an extremely run-heavy team. Uh, Kirk Cousins has 134 pass attempts, and they have 154 rushes on the year as a whole. Up next, they have the Falcons. Falcons are bad. They just fired their coach. They have a terrible defense. The running back position on average puts up 142 yards against them. Traden, you're a little thin in RB after Nick Chubb and Austin Eckley got hurt. What do you think about Alexander Madison? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for not giving me a wide receiver so I don't have to talk about how much I hate T.Y. Hilton. <laughs> um, that said, I look at this guy and he seems like a, he seems like a perfect pickup for someone in my position, right? Um, you know, 16.6 fantasy points, as you said, 20 attempts for 112 yards and he even got a touchdown last game when he went in for a lead for, uh, for Dalvin Cook. Um, and again, week five, and he just continues to rise to the occasion, which is pretty great. Um, it's, it seems like Dalvin Cook is going to be out for multiple weeks now, um, which gives Madison the clear go-ahead as the, as the feature RB1. And it kind of, it, it's kind of amazing to see a, a backup running back or whatever you want to call him be, like, be able to handle the workload of an RB1 easily. Like, it seems like he just fits right in there. Um, he's going to take multiple downs. He's proven he can which again is surprising when you don't have your top running back in, usually you're going to start to you know, spread the wealth. And I think that he's going to be able to take a lot more downs than a typical, you know, backup RB one. Um, I mean, he's the guy at the top, top of the waiver wire, I think overall, and uh, we'll talk about that later, but, and in platforms outside of the ESPN fantasy platform, you wouldn't even be talking about this guy because he's owned in well above 50% in those, in those other platforms. So either ESPN is slow to update or us ESPN, fantasy owners are all fucking idiots because everyone's ahead of us um and i guarantee we won't be talking about this guy you know come next week he's going to be easily owned in 60 to 70 percent of leagues i agree with you there uh, a couple of other notable running backs is chase edmonds from arizona went in 46.5 percent had 20.2 points Kenyon drake looks slow he doesn't look like the guy he was last year chase edmonds looks like he's gonna step in and be that guy for arizona and Cordell Patterson from Chicago owned at 4.5. He put he had 7.5% or 7.5 points last week. He's also a wide receiver. He comes out of the backfield, catches a lot of passes. If you're in a pick league, give him a look. Moving on to wide receiver, we have Chase Claypool, or as Tyler liked to call him, Chase Carpool. He's owned in 8.8% of leagues. Last week, he put up 42.6 points, which is the highest point total out of anybody in fantasy of last week. 
that's a lot of points, guys. Um, even before this week, he was a top 20 wide receiver on a very pass-heavy team. He's viewed as a third or fourth receiving option on the team. So it's pretty amazing to be a top 20 wide receiver if you're the third or fourth option. Against the Eagles, he had seven receptions on 10 targets for 110 yards and three touchdowns. He also added three carries for six yards and one touchdown. The biggest key here is that Deontay Johnson got hurt again. Last week, he had a concussion or two weeks ago, he had a concussion, something like that. And then this week, he hurt his back. The guy's injury prone. Claypool right now can step in and be that one or two wide receiver and flourish. The staff and Big Ben really like him as an offensive weapon. We saw this early on from the get-go. They tried to get him the ball as much as they could, so they had him running end-arounds or had him running slants. They tried to be creative with him because he knows what to do when, they, when he gets the ball. Um, he showed that even if Deontay Johnson does come back, he's a reliable weapon overall. Up next, he has the Browns. The Browns have given up eight receiving touchdowns in the last five weeks. On average, they give up 296 pass yards per game. Tyler, you currently have Deontay Johnson on your team. Uh, why do you still have him on your team, first and foremost? And what do you think about switching him for Chase Claypool? He is on my team, um, but I have not started him all season long. So I might uh, switch him out for Chase Claypool. I mean Carpool. I mean Claypool. Um, <laughs> this guy, you know, came out against my Eagles last week and had an amazing performance. Uh, four total touchdowns. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, looking at his stats overall, you know, week three or sorry, week, yes, week three last or two, a few weeks ago, uh, only 3.4 points. Week two, 17.8. Week one, 6.7. And then it exploded last week for 42. So a little bit up and down. But as you mentioned, the injury to Johnson is huge. I think that bumps him up to easily the number one or two option behind Juju Smith-Schuster, um, who hasn't been utilized as much as I think a lot of people thought he would. Um, so I think this is a very, very good option at a wide receiver to pick up. He's owned in, you know, as you mentioned, I think it's 8% of leagues right now. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at him, um, as a possible wide receiver option. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is, this is a great pickup. You think he ends up being a top 25 wide receiver at the end of the season? Currently ranked 21. I think his workload is going to increase from here. I definitely think he can be a top 25. Awesome. A couple of other notables are Travis Fulgham from Philadelphia. He's owned in 0.2% of leagues. He put up 31 points last week. The wide receiver position in Philadelphia is depleted. They're looking at anybody, and this guy runs deep routes and catches the ball. So, I mean, add him if you can. And also, LaVisca Cheneau Jr. from Jacksonville, owned in 32% of leagues. He put up 14.9 points. He's a wide receiver and running back, so he's going to be on the field a lot more. And lastly, for tight end, we have Cameron Bray from Tampa Bay. He's owned in 1.8% of leagues. In week five, he had 9.4 points. Against the Bears, he had five receptions on six targets for 44 yards. The biggest key for Bray is the fact that O.J. Howard tore his Achilles last week. Bray used to be like a reliable tight end for the majority of his career. Um, and Tom Brady really liked Bray a lot. I think I was watching the game and I heard in the interview that he was trying to get Bray on the field for the last couple of weeks, but it just wasn't working out because they had O.J. Howard and uh, they have Gronk. But the fact of the matter is Gronk is – a blocking tight end. He said it himself. He's not going to get the amount of targets he used to get. He's going to, he's out there to block because he's really good at that. So right now he's uh, he was second in targets in week number five with six targets from Tom Brady. Up next, he has the Packers. I think this is going to be a very high scoring game. Look for Cameron Bray to get a lot of touches there. Alex, your team is struggling right now and you pretty much need any help you can get. What do you think about Cameron Bray? Would you consider putting him in instead of Zach Ertz given once his recent struggles? 
I mean, I would definitely not put Ertz in. He will be not in my lineup next week. Uh, Ertz has been a total turd. Um, <laughs> Bright, on the other hand, um, it's tough with him. Um, you know, the first three weeks with O.J. Howard in, he had a grand total of zero points. He had zero targets, zero receptions. Nothing was in for him. Um, that is – you're totally right about Gronk, though. He is not who he used to be. We talked about that in – like week two of this podcast we did you know we were saying that Gronk is took a year off we just don't know what he's like um I'm probably you know only having him owned at 1.8 percent I'm not really liking the matchup with the Packers um so I probably would not put him in this week but he's definitely someone to keep your eye on moving forward um obviously the Bucks and Tom Brady are a pretty high-powered offense um I'm just not sure if I would play him against uh, the Packers, who are a pretty good team. I mean, granted, it is a lot of – it's going to be offense v. offense, kind of what you're talking about. Um, I'm not – I don't know if I'd give him this week, but maybe keep him on keep him on your radar and sort of see what he's looking like after this week and then go from there. Thank you for that, Alex. A couple of other notable tight ends is Tyler's favorite Ram of all time, and that's Gerald Everett. He's owning 0.5% of leagues. He had 13 points last week. And Austin Hooper from Cleveland. Owned in 45.3%, put up 10.7 points. Austin Hooper was brought to Cleveland to be this guy, to get a lot of points, to catch a lot of balls, and it's finally coming to fruition. So look for him to keep moving forward. Lastly here, we're going to go around the room, and we're going to ask the guys who their favorite wire bro wire pick of the week was. Tyler, let's start with you. Chase, Carpool, I mean Claypool. Okay. Trayden. Um, yeah, I had a sneaky pick, like, written up before this, and then I realized that he is – on by this week so it kind of <laughs> who was it though um justin herbert oh yeah he, he did I'll, I'll talk to him i'll talk to him about him next week because it actually makes sense because he actually plays next week um that said i just stuck with alexander madison uh he just i i, I had to pick him up because <laughs> i i need the running back so um you know I, I i think he's perfect for a situation like mine eric surprisingly still available hopefully i get him off way Ryan Tannehill claimed him a few days ago, and of course tonight he had like four touchdowns. It's a good one too. You love having two quarterbacks on your team, don't you? That's like four and one, three and one, whatever the fuck I am. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully it and works. Alex, uh, sticking with tight ends, Eric Ebron. He's second in the team in routes run this season, twelve point six yards per catch. Uh, the Eagles' defense is terrible. Um, you know, so that's who they played. Uh, you solid sleeper if you're frustrated with your current tight end, Zach Ertz. All right, guys. Eagles are horrible. <laughs> yeah. Eagles, Eagles and Niners are both terrible. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and that wraps up my segment. Thanks, guys. Thank you, James. Great as always. Uh, coming up next, we're taking a trip to Mount Rushmore. For each of the four major sports, Alex is going to lead us through a little debate on the four biggest names of each four major sports and we we'll each give you our own Mount Rushmore when we come back. Welcome back everybody. I'm excited for this segment. Uh, Alex, you decided to have us all pick a Mount Rushmore for each four major sport. So we're going to kind of go around the horn here and we're going to talk about it. So I'm excited. Alex, take it away. Yeah. So, uh, trading. So, you know, Mount Rushmore, 
there are four <laughs> heads up there. Um, so I wanted you to pick four people. It's all good, buddy. Uh, we'll get to them. Um, so also to kind of put a twist on it, I know if you guys have listened to these podcasts before, uh, the guys kind of, we, we all kind of tend to fit in our one sport. So I wanted them to not do that one and kind of, uh, you know, stretch their legs out, kind of check out some other sports. Uh, so let's start with the NBA uh, with, you know, the finals just ending the other night. So James, you tasked with picking the basketball Mount Rushmore. Uh, let's hear your four and then uh, I'll tell you if you're wrong. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Fantastic. <laughs> Number one. I think this is easy, common. Michael Jordan, hands down, six-time NBA champion. It's Michael Jordan. He was the face of the NBA. He made the NBA what it was. He's the GOAT. He's number one on that list. Number two, I have Magic Johnson. He only played 12 years in the league, but he was a five-time NBA champ. He was a six-nine point guard. He was the all-time leader in assist point game at 11.2. He's part of what made the Lakers the Lakers. And uh, he was part of that amazing Lakers-Celtics rivalry. Number three, I have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, six-time NBA champ, 20 years in the league. He's an all-time NBA scoring leader, all-time leader in field goals made, all-time leader of career wins. He's third all-time in rebounds and block shots. And he also created the Skyhook. So if you guys have ever seen that in any movie, that's because of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And lastly, this is the one where people probably won't agree with me on, but this is how I feel pretty strongly about this, and it's very personal for me. But I'm going to go with Kobe Bryant. Five-time NBA champ, two-time final MVP, MVP one time, uh, 18-time All-Star, two-time Olympic gold medalist. When I first started watching basketball, Kobe was basketball. I started watching in like 98 or something, and he was the guy ever since then. I pretty much watched him as I grew up, and him, watching him play and watching the Lakers are very near and dear to my heart, which is why I picked Kobe Bryant to be my fourth on Mount Rushmore. Okay. Uh, so I agree with you on a few of them. I've definitely got MJ. You can't not have Michael Jordan. Uh, Kareem was my honorable mention. I did sort of cheat a little bit, and my fourth one was Magic slash Larry Bird. I know oh, that's, that's kind of cheating, but you know when you talk about Magic, you can't talk. You have to talk about Larry Bird and vice versa. Um, you know when they were uh, coming into the league and going back to back in the finals all the time, the NBA really started to. Uh, falter their viewership was going down so they kind of uh, saved basketball a little bit uh so the other two that i had were lebron 10 nba finals in his career um it was a little bit of a shout out obviously since they just won the other night um he's the all-time leader in points scored in the playoffs um which is just incredible and the fact that he's still doing it in year 17 and then i had bill russell a little bit of a shout out to our last podcast 11 championships eight in a row uh he kind of changed the game um, he and Wilt Chamberlain were sort of the first two big men to really dominate. Um, and I know with Steph and the Warriors, that has kind of changed now. Um, but Bill Russell was kind of an innovator, and I thought that he deserved a spot on that list. Um, but James, good job. Uh, definitely wasn't as terrible as I thought you were going to do. Oh, uh, move come on. on. <laughs> Just kidding, man. You killed it. I'm proud of you. What about Bill Jackson? Yeah, I, so I didn't, yeah. Put, I didn't put any coaches on any of my lists. I thought about that. Uh, Definitely someone's Popovich there too. Yeah, Popovich and Phil Jackson, yeah. um, Red Arbach for the Celtics back in the day are definitely some good ones though for sure. Uh, okay, Tyler, moving on to hockey. Uh, I'm pretty sure at least one of these guys everyone would have on their list. Uh, but let's hear what you got. Yeah, so starting off with the obvious one, Wayne Gretzky. I mean, this is probably the easiest 
pick of any of the Mount Rushmore's, I think. Yeah. Uh, he's called the great one for a reason. I mean, NHL, NHL's all-time leader in points, assists, and goals. We talked about him last week a ton and all the records he holds. It's absolutely ridiculous. When he retired in 1999, he held 61 NHL records. 61. That is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, one of the very few players that went to the Hall of Fame, like, right away after he retired, he got, he got waived the waiting period. That's pretty insane. Um, he's also the only player in the NHL to have his jersey retired league wide, number 99. So obviously Wayne Gretzky's up there. Uh, number two, I got Gordie Howe, Mr. Hockey. Uh, played 26 NHL seasons uh, before Wayne Gretzky came along. He was the previous record holder for goals and assists in the NHL. 23-time All-Star. He is still the record holder for most games and seasons played in hockey all time. Four-time Stanley Cup champion. Um, only player to have played in the NHL in five different decades. He played from the 40s to the 80s. That's pretty insane. Um, and then, of course, he, he, he came up with the – or he the Gordie Howe hat trick is named after him, which is a huge hockey, hockey thing, uh, which is getting a goal, an assist, and getting in a fight on the same game. So that guy is a classic. I think when I first started watching hockey, he was one of the first guys that I think I heard about that I hadn't watched played that was just constantly mentioned, constantly talked about as one of the greatest of, of, of all time. So I got Gordie Howe at number two. Uh, at number three, I got Alex Ovechkin, Ovi. Uh, for me, oh, I trade in space was not very pleased with me. Okay, so here, here's my case. Here's my case. For me, That's pretty good. For me, he's the best modern-day goal scorer in, in the NHL right now. Uh, he, scored, he scored 52 points in his first season and has not looked back. Uh, he has led the NHL in goals, scored in a season nine times, which is a record. Uh, he has three Hart trophies and one Stanley Cup in 2019 um, – or 2018, excuse me. Um, for me, this is the most modern, I think most exciting player of our generation – of course, you know, he's, he's getting a little up there in age. There's a ton of guys that are coming in to kind of take over that spot. But for me, Alex Ovechkin is one of the most exciting, most modern-day players of, 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 of his time. So I'm going with Ovi at three. And at number four, Haley Wickenheiser, all right, female hockey player for Team Canada, all-time leader in goals and assists for Team Canada, won four gold medals and one silver medal for Canada at the Olympics, uh, twice named the tournament MVP. She was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2019. Uh, she also played Olympic softball for Canada in 2000. So multi-sport athlete, multi-Olympic athlete. So beast of an athlete. Uh, she's also the first woman to score a goal in a men's professional hockey league. Uh, she did that in Finland. Um, and she's currently the assistant director of player development for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So she's an absolute beast. I think she deserves a spot on that list for sure. And that concludes my uh, hockey Mount Rushmore. Okay, trade and go for it. Give it. Give your um, thirty seconds. How how can you have how can you rate Alex Ovechkin over Sidney Crosby? Yeah, okay. Sidney Crosby is the greatest player in our generation. He is all the way through two hundred foot game. He is the greatest. Better than better than Connor McDavid. Ovechkin is the best Russian. The best Russian. You know, okay, here's here's the thing. When I was deciding, I was when I wanted to have a more modern guy, and I was honestly deciding between Crosby and Ovechkin. But I didn't want to have four Canadians on Mount Rushmore. I needed someone to represent hockey is a world sport. We need someone from a different country on that list. I needed OV representing. I didn't. I, I don't want a Canada sweep. I mean, Canada deserves to have three spots. They're the you know they created hockey. They're the best hockey, best hockey 
uh, country in the world. They deserve a lot of spots, but I didn't want to. I, I, I don't want a clean Canada sweep up there. You know what I mean? Well, so I, well that's why we're Obi. Conclusion: That's just absurd. You could have, you could have picked anybody else, but oh, Alex. I mean, I love Alexander Ovechkin, but damn, dude. Patrick Kane. No. USA. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I really okay. wanted Tyler American, but I went with Obi. Oh. Yeah, Tyler, I don't know what you're doing with your hands there. Sorry. But, uh, <laughs> been watching the debate. Uh, so I, I do agree with you. Um, the great one and Mr. Hockey have got to be on that list. Um, I have Martin Brodeur, uh, the all-time leader in goalie wins by a lot. Um, I knew he was ahead, and then when I looked it up, it's by like 130 wins. He's got 691 of them. Um, so he's, he was on my list. And then, uh, so I have, you know, two forwards, a goalie, and then a defenseman, I got Bob Bohr. Oh, yeah. uh, he really changed, he really changed <laughs> the game, um, you know, before he was in the league. Defensemen were defensemen. He sort of became the first guy to really have an offensive mindset as a defensive player. Uh, so I had to pick him uh, to make my top list. And then I had Mario Lemieux as an honorable mention. Uh, he was a tough one to exclude. Uh, but, man, there's just a lot of great hockey players. The game's been around for a long time. Uh, okay, we're moving on. Football. Eric, what do you got? You guys are going to be rattled with me after hearing all your guys'. Is... <sighs> all right, number one, Bill Belichick. The guy's a genius. He's got six championships. So does Michael Jordan. Um, Bill Belichick could have more. Um, he's one of the most successful coaches in sports history. Uh, and usually, like, of, of recent, he's just is counted out at the beginning of the season. Everyone keeps thinking the Patriots aren't going to be – that they're not going to make the playoffs. They make the playoffs, they make the Super Bowl, they beat teams like my Rams and other teams. But, yeah, you got to mention Bill Belichick. He's just – his system always works. We'll see this year, though, with Cam Newton. Next, I got Jim Brown. Uh Broke the most major rushing records of all time. Only player to average over 100 yards rushing per game his entire career. 5.2 yards per rush, second best among running backs. Uh, he just has endless accomplishments. He's one of the biggest role models for the NFL running backs to this day. James, my third one, Jerry Rice. Widely regarded as the greatest wide receiver in NFL history. Leader in most career major stats for wide receivers, receptions, touchdowns, and receiving yards, all three pretty important. Has scored the most points in his position, also a three-time Super Bowl champion. Holds over 100 NFL records. That's the most by any player in the NFL. Last but not least, you guys are going to probably rattle Tom Brady. Uh, I, hate, I hate to have two Patriots on the Mount Rushmore, two people from that organization. But just from what I've seen in my lifetime, I have to pick him. Uh, yeah, I just always see that guy win Super Bowls. Um, he wins like Joe Montana in the playoffs, and then he gets all these stats like Peyton Manning in the season. In other words, he has it all. He's pretty much one of the most successful NFL QBs. And um, I think a big reason is Bill, Bill Belichick's systems, but I had to throw him in there. Okay. I like your list. Uh, again, I stayed away from coaches, so I did not have Bill Belichick on there. Uh, I did have Tom Brady and Jerry Rice. Um, and then I picked Walter Payton, um, him and Jim Brown. I was kind of going back and forth on. Uh, and then to get a defenseman in there, I put Lawrence Taylor. He's probably the most wrecking defensive player of all time. Um, I was trying, you know, not to do all offense. So I got one QB, one wide receiver, one running back, and a defensive player. So I was trying to get all over there. 
James, you give me a heads up. You got something to – you want to trash Eric's? You're trying to trash mine. Uh, a little bit of both. Cool. Uh, for the most part, football, like, it's tough, man, because you got to pick four people that fits so many different positions. That's hard to do. Eric, if you're going to pick a coach, don't pick Belichick. You got to go George Hallis, dude. George Hallis in, practically invented football. He had eight Super Bowl wins. You got to go with him over Belichick. Easy. Um, Walter Payton, I totally agree with. Walter Payton, man of the year award. Walter Payton's a stand-up guy. But I like you guys' list overall. Okay. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're okay with it. One Thank you for your approval. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Traded. Baseball. Very last one. What do you got? All right. Well, I think everyone has that one player. And obviously, obviously, this player for baseball has to be Babe Ruth. I mean, he's kind of like synonymous with the game. He's just legendary. Everybody knows him. And when you think baseball, he's there. Um, he's best known for being, you know, a slugger outfielder for the Yankees. But he also started out his career as a pretty solid pitcher. <laughs> so he can kind of do it all, which is pretty impressive. Um, I mean, he's a great Bambino. I mean, what else do I have to say? There's nothing else to say. It's kind of says it all there. Um, I would say number two would be Jackie Robinson. Um, he, I mean, he was a great baseball player, but I think he, I mean, obviously he's best known for breaking the color barrier, um, you know, allowing African-Americans to join the MLB. Um, he's the only, he, his number is the only one retired in the MLB, which is pretty amazing. Um, and I, you know, I think, I think that's kind of a given, um, definitely. Um, then I go with Cy Young. Um, I know that he may not be the best pitcher, but I think he's the most well-known. There's a freaking ward named after him that every, you know, that pitchers are kind of trying to, you know, emulate. Um, and he's just kind of synonymous with it, with, you know, one of the most important positions in the game. So, um, you know, I think it have to go to Cy Young. Um, and then my fourth, I guess would be Hank Aaron. Um, between 1954 and 1976, he's most known for his 755 home runs and owns a record for the most RBI in a career at 22 or 2,297. So, um, you know, he's kind of like, you know, the big slugger that you got to put on the, you got to put up there. Uh, again, I don't know a lot about baseball, but those kind of four guys kind of stick out to me. Okay. Uh, so I actually agree with your first three. I mean, Babe Ruth has to be on there. Um, Jackie Robinson has to be on there. And then, Cy Young, um, you know, I talked about him last week during Eric's records uh, segment and, you know, all those wins, all those complete games. Again, there's an award named after him. Uh, so the only one I differed on is I put Roberto Clemente as my number four. Um, I think it's time baseball um, retires his number throughout um, like they did with Jackie Robinson. Um, just obviously a great player. He finished his career with exactly 3,000 hits probably the best arm in the outfield almost ever seen, um, you know, tragically died early in a plane crash being a humanitarian. And then kind of like the Walter Payton man of the year award, there's the Roberto Clemente award, um, which is sort of the same thing, um, you know, given to the player who best exemplifies giving to his community. Um, I like, I liked your list. Um, there's obviously so many guys I could go on any of these. Um, do either you guys want to, or anyone want to throw out other baseball players you want to toss out there? Go for it, Ty. I think I think with the the pitching one, I wouldn't have gone with Cy Young. Uh, obviously, you know he's a legend and rightfully so. I just think with the time and stuff that he pitched at, it's just the stats are so wonky because of that. And so for me, when I think of just dominant pitchers and guys that are just absolute legends, the first guy that I think about is Nolan Ryan. Um, I think this he was an absolute stud. Um, I think it, it's between him, him, 
Bob Gibson and, and uh, Sandy Koufax. Um, so those would be the three pitchers I would actually pick over Cy Young for the Mount Rushmore, but it's so hard. There's, there's so many great pitchers, so many great players in baseball, but um, I would not have gone with Cy Young. I would have gone with one of those other three guys. Okay. Uh, I'm going to disregard James's comment. Uh, <laughs> we won't even, we won't even let the viewers know what that was. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then my last one is uh, Frank Robinson. He's the only player to win MVP in both leagues. Um, he was my last kind of honorable mention. Um, but other than that, that's my list. Uh, you know, if you guys want to give us your list, let us know. Um, but mine were the best, obviously. <laughs> uh, but thanks, guys. All right, Alex, thanks for that. That was fun. Um, when we come back, Traden is going to take us to the ice once again after a one-week hiatus. Uh, it was a big, big week in NHL free agency, and he's going to help us break it all down. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. We're only a couple weeks removed from the Stanley Cup championship won by the Tampa Bay Lightning. But we already got some offseason news, a lot of it. Uh, tons of uh, transactions have occurred the last week or so. Uh, it's been very busy. So, Traden, help us break it all down. What are the biggest moves that happened in the NHL free agency? Yeah. So, you know, the NHL has been busy this, for this week. I mean, I feel bad for the GMs. Usually they have a little bit of time between the draft and free agency, and they had days to prepare for both. And it was pretty crazy. I'm sure they haven't had much sleep. I'm sure their wives hate them because um, they're up all night. Um, but, you know, the draft started last week on the October 6th through the 7th, and then we had Fridays open up for free agency. Um, really weird because usually it's July 1st, but I guess, not, obviously not this year, <laughs> but it's been quite weird because, uh, you know, they're keeping the cap flat for the next few years. So it, it's squeezed a lot of teams into kind of a bind. Um, they're having to, you know, buy out players at a rapid rate. I've never seen this many players get bought out all at once. It was really crazy. Henrik Lundqvist of all players got bought out and now plays the uh, Washington Capitals. I mean, I, I don't know. That, that's the weirdest thing. I don't even, I, didn't, I won't, I won't be able to imagine him without a Rangers jersey. And, and, you know, he's extremely loved in New York. And, I, you know, I feel bad for that guy. But at least he's going to still be able to compete. Brayden Holpe went over to the Canucks. Uh, and then notable players like Kyle Turris was bought out and signed uh, at very small contracts. I mean, contracts that are, that are just teeny that, you know, they, these players deserve so much more. Um, the, the middle, I call it the middle class of players that really got their, their payrolls squeezed. Um, more so than any other year I've ever seen. Um, so with that said, I want to go through four big moves that I thought were huge. Um, two of the biggest player free agency signings, and then the other two were left for our, our Ducks and Kings fans. I know that three of you guys are Kings fans, but um, I gave the one Kings draft pick to, to Eric. But we're going to start out with what the biggest free agency ticket was and I was waiting for this, and I finally got it on, I believe, Sunday. or might have been Monday. I can't remember exactly the day. Um, but Alex Petrangelo, age 30, signs with Vegas Golden Knights for $61.6 million contract over seven years, $8.8 .8 cap hit. The guy finally gets paid. This was 
this signing is, has a lot of bonuses baked into it and they're all largely back-ended and that's something that the GM at the St. Louis Blues refused to provide even though this was their franchise defenseman um, and he is a franchise defenseman and, and could very well be in the top five you know of you know subjectively of course but I think he's a top five defenseman in the league which is crazy um, the Blues replaced him with Tory Crew, who, in my opinion, is nowhere near Alex Petrangelo, but at least he's a, a, a reputable replacement. Um, but Tyler, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Are you surprised that St. Louis couldn't get a deal done with Petrangelo? I mean, they were the only team that was able to extend them an eight-year contract. He got a seven-year contract with Vegas. Um, do you think that Doug Armstrong should have abandoned his view on the, on the contract structure, you know, to sign Petrangelo? Um, or, you know, do you think that they probably saved a bit of money not having to knowing they don't have to buy the guy out in the last two years of this contract. Yeah, it's tough. If, if, if I was, if I was the Bruins fans, I'd be pretty upset that they could let, let this guy walk. I mean, this is your franchise guy, your captain, uh, won you a Stanley cup last season, uh, got to lock him up. And it just sounds like it came to down to the nitty gritty little details of, of the contract. Um, he, they seem to be willing to give him the, the money he wanted, the years he wanted. It's just all about those bonuses and those kind of little details, kind of fine print part of it, which to me is kind of silly. I think, I think you could have hashed those out. I think you could have easily got that deal done. Um, but nonetheless, here we are. He's moving on to Vegas. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, Tory Crew coming in kind of, you know, um, you know, kind of sealed his fate there um, in, in St. Louis. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a huge blow. It's 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 not just a great player. It's your it's your captain. It's it's the face of your franchise leaving, and that's that's a huge blow no matter what. It just there's there's really no re, re, replacing that. Um, I don't know if they felt like just because they won a cup a couple years ago, they're like okay, like we won the cup with this guy. We'll we'll, we'll move on to the next. Seems silly to me. I think the Blues with this guy locked down could have easily had a lot more years to win a, another cup, but. Then I worked out, which is which to me is unfortunate. Yeah, it, 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 I think it was unfortunate. I mean, it, it, that's another player I, I can't imagine him not being in a Blues jersey. Um, he's one of my favorite defensemen out there. Um, but, but on the other side, Vegas made a lot of moves to to find space for Petrangelo. Uh, they traded Nate Schmidt for a 2022 third round pick. I I think that kind of move is crazy. I mean, that that's a really solid defenseman. You know, he's getting paid nearly $6 million a year and, and worth way more than a third-round pick. Obviously, it was a complete cap dump. Um, but did Vegas give up too much to sign this defenseman, Tyler? I mean, are, are they going to get enough of that? Are they getting enough of an upgrade to, to you know, justify this big payment? I think, yes. I think Petrangelo is that good of a guy. And I think you can build pieces around him. Uh, to complete that team, it may it may it may not happen for this upcoming season, uh, for all those pieces to to come together. But you have this guy locked down for seven years. He's like you mentioned, one of probably the top five defensemen in the league. I mean, that's a win for me. And I think this team is already very good. They made it, you know, very far in the playoffs. They've been going deep in the playoffs the last few years. Um, so this team's very good. And yes, they lost Nate Schmidt and uh, Paul St and Paul Stastny as well to clear some cap space, but that's just sometimes the moves you got to do with the, with the, with the whole cap uh, rules. So, but for me, for Vegas, this, this is a win, even with the loss of a couple of those guys. I, I tend to agree. Um, what I love about Vegas and their GM, Kelly McCrimmon, he, he goes for it. You know, they're wanting to win every year and they're going to do anything they can to make that happen. And I, and I think that that's amazing. I wish every GM was like that. And then finally, last question, how do you think the blues 
will fare without their captain and franchise defenseman? Um, do you think Vegas, how do you think Vegas will fare this season? And are you more concerned as a Kings fan that Petrangelo is in the Pacific? Yeah, definitely not the guy you want to be facing in your own division um, as a Kings fan. Um, I think for me, looking at both these two teams, after the, the deal is over, I see Vegas getting better and the Blues getting worse. Um, I do think the Blues are still very good. I think they're definitely a playoff team. Um, but just overall, with I mean, the, the big names that, that change spots, that change teams, um, I feel like Vegas upgraded and St. Louis downgraded. Um, so, but two very, very, very good teams still. Um, two teams to, that are going to be hard, um, hard to beat no matter who you're playing. Well, thanks for that. Moving on to the, the ne- next biggest fish that I, that I thought was on the market. Um, Taylor Hall, uh, a 28-year-old signed with Buffalo Sabres for $8 million on a one-year contract. I consider this more of a show-me contract, um, although I've never seen it at this high dollar value for a show-me contract, which is interesting. Um, Hall has kind of been a nomad as of late. You know, after being drafted by us in Edmonton in 2010, he's been shipped out for a one-for-one trade with Adam Larson. That's considered one of the worst trades in Edmonton <laughs> um, to the New Jersey Devils. Um, at the deadline last year, the Coyotes saw, um, saw, thought that they had a chance to win the Stanley Cup or at least be a contender, so they made a signing at the deadline. Um, but they got caught tampering and actually got some picks taken away and they're having to deal with kind of that issue. So they really couldn't sign hall. So he walked and signed with Buffalo. Um, but Taylor hall is a perennial high scorer, you know, 50 plus points for, um, he was awarded the Hart trophy in 2017, um, 2018 season with the devils. And after, after he single-handedly brought them to this post season, in my opinion, and he'll be joining Eichel and Skinner in Buffalo for, you know, at least this year. So Alex, I asked you to kind of look up on this deal. What is your thought on Buffalo signing here? Does it seem like a solid risk for them to take, uh, especially when you consider Buffalo has still over $13 million in cap space available? Yeah, I mean, oh God, dude, hockey, hockey uh, contracts are weird because like a show me contract for $8 million seems like nothing to me, being like a, you know, a baseball fan where like a show me contract in baseball could be like $20 million. Um, But yeah, you know, you've got you pair with Jack Eichel. Um, if you're the Sabers, you know Eichel is kind of there's kind of been some rumors floating out there that he's uh, not super happy with the direction the team is going. If you're Jack Eichel and the Sabers, you have to be pumped. You give Taylor Hall one year. If he shoots, if he shits the bed, then you're kind of like, well, okay, we're still a team on the rise. Um, you know, they're really young. They've had a lot of top picks uh, within the last you know five years or so. So they're kind of working their way up. And for Taylor Hall. You know, Jack Eichel is a, also a premier scoring talent. He just hasn't had much around him. Put those two together, um, and I agree with you. You know, Taylor Hall had a down year uh, last year after getting traded. Um, you know, show us what you got, and then he's still pretty young. If it goes well, you know, maybe Buffalo signs him for more money, or he can get a bigger contract next year, especially with the weird COVID thing going on. Right. I can definitely understand why he like signed this deal. Definitely. Um, and I guess going into that, are you surprised that he didn't look for a longer term deal? I mean, this guy could get paid and do you think it was a good move for him to bet on himself or too much of a risk? I'm a little surprised. It's only a one year deal. I could have seen maybe like a two or three year deal. Um, but I think a lot of these guys are just trying to make sure they have a guaranteed contract with this weird off season. 
Um, you know, you were saying that, you know, they, the guys only had, you know, the GMs only had, you know, a week between all this craziness to get this all done. Um, so yeah, if I'm Taylor Hall, you know, that's still $8 million. <laughs> that's a lot of money. Uh, take the money, bet on yourself, you know, show the league what you got and you're young enough, you know, you can still get a, a longer term deal next year. Yeah, I actually think it was a smart move. Um, the guy's going to get paid one way or another, yeah. and I think that you, you can only get better from here. My last question for you is, how do the Buffalo Sabres fare this year, and do you think the Sabres are actually going to be a threat with one of the best players in the league playing with the heart tr- playing with the past heart, heart Trophy winner? And finally, does Hall play better with Eichel than you do with McDavid? Uh, oof, that second part is tough. I don't know. That's crazy, though, that he has played with both McDavid and Eichel. Yeah. I don't know if he plays better. I mean, obviously, Connor McDavid is probably the best player in hockey right now. Um, I don't know. Nathan McKinnon might be kind of poking him in the butt with his stick going, hey, what about me? Yeah. Um, I do. I think the Sabres, I don't know if they're like a cup contender, but I definitely think this pushes them closer to a playoff spot. Um, you know, the Sabres have not made the playoffs in a long time. Um, if you're a Sabres fan, this has to be an exciting move. Um, and I feel like Eichel and Taylor Hall are a good match. Um, I don't, they probably, I would assume they wouldn't play on the same line to kind of spread that talent out. Um, but I mean, who knows, kind of see how that goes. But, um, I think, I think they can, you know, push for one of those wildcard spots, one of those last, last spots in the East. I, I hope so. I think, I think Buffalo needs, I think the Sabres fans need something because it, yeah. it's very grim for them. Um, moving on, I know that this isn't a huge signing, but it is for my, uh, my, our Ducks fan here. Uh, Kevin Shattenkirk, age 31, signed with the Ducks for 11.7 million for three years, um, for 3.9 cap hit per year. Um, he's also been a nomad over the last few years. He was traded to the Capitals in 2017, signed a four-year contract with the Rangers, um, and then they bought him out with two years left, I believe. And then he signed a one-year deal with the Bolts last year and then won him up. <laughs> um, he's and he's been kind of a perennial 30 to 40 point defenseman solid numbers for defensemen now what has been questioned is his defensive ability his plus minus has been negative in multiple years so it's questionable but he is known as a puck carrying defenseman and and you know he's been a solid pickup for for teams due to his, just his offensive ability um on the on the blue line um, he apparently wanted to go to Ad, uh, Anaheim last year, but decided to play, play with Tampa. I think that was a good bet on his end. <laughs> no offense, James. Um, but James, the, the Ducks aren't locking up a lot of money annually to keep this guy, um, to get this better on the payroll. I mean, he's a strong offensive defenseman, Stanley Cup champion, and will be the second of your two right-handed defensemen on the, on the blue line. How do you feel about this deal as a, as a Duck fan? I like it, man. Uh, I've liked Kevin Shattenkirk for a long time. Mainly because when I first started playing hockey or fancy hockey, I wanted Shattenkirk on my team so I could name my team. I Shattenkirk's mouth. Yeah, that's my fancy team name my first year. So that's why I liked him. So I picked him. And so I kind of followed him for the last three years, just kind of seeing where he's going. He had that shit year when he played for uh, the Rangers after he got hurt. But other than that, he's been – he produces. And like you said, we needed a second, like, right-handed defender that moves the puck and can hold that and has some offensive prowess. And that's a, that's what we got. The Ducks as a whole the last year, two years have been terrible offensively. They haven't scored at all, so this is definitely going to help them. Um, I think the fact that he can push the puck up the ice, I almost said up the field, but up the ice, 
is really good just because it gives John Gibson a break. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they need some speed into, on the transition. I think this will, this will help that. But one of the biggest issues with the SoCal teams and especially the Ducks has been age. Um, the Ducks have been labeled as old and slow. And this move definitely does not bring the average age down by any means. Are you worried about that, that part of this deal? Not yet. Okay. Just because 31 isn't that old right now, it will be come 35. But there are some old defenders out there who are still producing, and he's, he's still on the right side of 30. I'm not worried about it right now. Yeah, and by the time his contract's up, he'll be, he'll be that old, and you probably won't resign him then. Exactly. So how do you think your Ducks are going to fare this year? The Ducks have always had a strong blue line in my eyes. They may not be strong defense, offensively, but defensively they've always been solid. And now they have a veteran with some playoff experience. Um, however, he has been the type – however, Shattenkirk has been the kind of type of player that a contender – goes to buy to bring on their team you know a team that is about to win aka the tampa bay lightning and so ducks. do you think the anaheim ducks are close to being a contender or are a contender for this upcoming season that really just depends on the play of the forwards uh like you've mentioned the defense is good and the goaltending is good given a break or given some help from the defense the offense is where it's killing us and i think he'll help us out there so ask me in two weeks in the season, and I'll let you know what I think. I just have to see how this works out. I got to see how they mesh, how the chemistry works, how the puck moves, and how they all look as a whole after not playing for so long. Because the Ducks haven't played in forever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I agree with you. I think it's a low, I think it's a low um, bet or low dollar risk to, to take, and I think it was a solid pick. Although they have no um, cap space, I think they're just – They have negative cap space right now. Yeah, I think they just got to develop their their new guys. Um, finally, Eric, LA Kings draft Quinton Byfield second overall. He's a 6'4", 215-pound centerman who played for the Sudbury Wolves, the OHL team. He's from Newmarket, Ontario, and born on August 19, 2002, and was one of the oldest draft picks available at the time. Um, during his two-year stint in Sudbury, Byfield played 109 games, with 60, uh, amassing 61 goals, 82 assists for 143 points. A very solid plus-minus as well. Um, and he scored a point per game in his one playoff season in 2019. They obviously didn't have a playoff season last year for obvious reasons. Um, he also played in the 2020 World Junior Tournament, but did not have one of the strongest outings, and that's what kind of people put people off. But I think they – I mean, obviously, L.A. got over that. Um, he's a, they, they say he's considered a tremendous skater and moves extremely well and not just for a big man, like just overall, he's a very strong skater. He uses his speed and acceleration to play a transition style game and play a 200 foot game. He's skilled on his skates and he's a big guy and he's strong on the puck. He's also the highest drafted, um, black prospect in the NHL history, passing Seth Jones and Evander Kane, who both went fourth overall in their respective years. Eric. This is big. You like big style hockey. This is a big style kind of hockey guy, right? Big size, but skilled with the puck. It's the type of player that just like salivate over. They drool over the shit. His game often is compared to Evgeny Malkin. Stylistically, maybe not from a skill, like skill-wise. I'm not saying he's going to be a, a, a um, Gino, but he has that style. Other options would have included the potentially speedier Tim Stutzel, who went third, um, and he's from Mannheim, Germany. Do you think this was the right pick for the Kings and why? Uh, what more do I need to say? I think you just covered everything about him. Um, but no, I do think he's a great pick for the Kings. 
I also heard this guy has the confidence of a lion. Spitting Chicklets compared him to a current player in the league. Uh, there was a guy on there that um, does a lot of draft research. Ryan Getzlov, ever heard of him, James, was compared to this guy, or this guy was compared to him. Um, seems to be a versatile center, contributes both offense and defense. He has that defensive mindset that Kings preach, salivate, and get horny over that. Um, <laughs> And he's about to be learning from the multiple Selkie Trophy winner, a guy named Anze Kopitar. Ever heard of him, Alex or Tyler? Um, of course you have. And another guy who he will also be learning from, Jeff Carter. Ever heard of him, Traden? <laughs> uh, I do have a lot of high hopes for this guy. Um, he fits the, the King's total style. I think uh, – I hope they can integrate him in pretty soon here. Um, well, going off of, you know, bouncing off of Andre Kopitar, are you excited? Obviously, you're excited to see him get mentored by, you know, big man Andre Kopitar. Do you think this guy has the ability and the skill to become the new Andre Kopitar? Perennial Selkie finalist, face of the organization, kind of a big deal. Does he have that ability in him? I'm going to give you the James answer. Uh, talk to me like a month into the season after I've seen him play because I'm not the big biggest OHL guy you know I, I don't really watch uh, the OHL a lot or ever so I mean I've just seen some highlight clips of him but you know comparing him to Kopitar being the face of the organization all that I will know in the future but I'm glad to see that he will be you know mentored by him um, and I guess that goes to my last question the LA Kings have made small moves in this free agency period adding some more depth but kind of staying focused on developing their players, which I think is very important. They're obviously set to develop. Do you think Byfield cracks the NHL squad this year as early as game one, or will the LA Kings keep it slow and keep him in Ontario for, you know, a season or two or even half a season? Good question. I think they, uh, I think they crack him game one. Um, well, how old is he? Is he like 17 years old? He's 18. He, he is 18. Uh, yeah. I mean, last year they, uh, they had a, a Couple, they had a D-man from Finland. I'm blanking on his name, but same thing. They cracked him game one, paired with Dowdy. So, so they do like to throw guys into the fire, just kind of get a little test run of them. Like they, they do both. They throw them in right away and then test them, see how it goes, and they usually bring them down to Ontario, develop them. But I think they throw them in pretty early. I think I think that's a proper way to develop. And uh, and I, I wish I wish luck for him, and I wish luck for the Kings. I think I think that there's something that you guys can bite on. I mean, I know it's been a tough couple years coming off those cup wins and things have kind of been a little stale. And I think that a player like this brings some up some much needed, you know, spark to the fan base and to the team. So I'm excited for that. Well, to finish off, I, I want to go around the horn and ask what everyone's thought, everyone's opinion on the biggest story, what the biggest signing is in your opinion. You know, I know that obviously it's going to be a headline thing, but you know, it's going to be quick. Tyler, what's your biggest, what was your biggest signing or what was the biggest storyline in your mind? I think it's just all the goalie movements that's been going on. It seems like half the league switched their goalies in a week. Uh, it was absolutely insane. I saw this little flow chart that showed like all the goalies that was like musical chairs going yeah. around. Pretty crazy. Is it crazy? Uh, Alex, what about you? Uh, former King Tyler Toffoli signing with the Montreal Canadiens for four years. Uh, I thought that was an interesting move because Toffoli is, you know, in the point of his career where he's a win now type of guy. And obviously the Canadians uh, sort of made the playoffs, you know, as we want to call it this year. Um, and we can, um, I thought that was interesting. Um, 
Uh, maybe they're they're kind of where the Kings are hoping to be, you know, two years from now, where they're they're ready to start stepping it back up. Uh, but I thought that Tyler Toffoli move was interesting. That is interesting. I'd love to see him play with my boy Kakenyemi. Um, James, what about you, man? The biggest one was Henrik Lundqvist being bought out and going to the Caps. That marks the end of an era right there. Sad to see. Um, that's a lot of history, a lot of years of one team. Yeah. So it's going to be weird seeing him in a different jersey. Yeah, definitely. It was, I was heartbroken for him, but I'm happy he's on a contending team. And uh, what about you, Eric? I'm going to keep the goalie theme. Uh, Braden Holtby to the Canucks. I mean, the, and then their fucking goalie, Markstrom, goes to the fucking flames of all teams. <laughs> Uh, in the same, what's with that division just trading goalies to each other? That's that's weird. But Holby is a solid goaltender. Got a cut before. He's been deep in the playoffs. And the Canucks seem like they're like they're getting to that Kings mode. They're getting to that playoff zone. Like Alex is saying, I like Holby with the Canucks. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very excited to see. I, I honestly, before I um, wrap up, I I think that if the NHL couldn't get any more pair, you know, parity it just got more parity because of COVID. I mean, the, the team seems, every team seems scary in their own right now. I, I'm not really, the only team I'm not scared of is the Ottawa Senators, but, and maybe the, the Arizona Coyotes, but that's two, oh, Red Wings. 32, or 31. Um, I'm not really scared. I'm, I'm, I'm scared of any, every team, even the Ducks, I, 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 even the Kings. I'm scared to play them. Um, I think the Sharks are going to be scary, although I think they made a stupid move. Um, so Are you scared I, of the Oilers? I if it, I would if I was any team in the Pacific, I'd be very scared of what the Oilers did this this year. And I'm not saying that subjectively. I'm trying to be as objective as possible. They did upgrade their defense. They did upgrade the, their third line center position. And I and I would be a little bit scared of that they actually have some depth scoring now. But we'll see. They they do need to play some fucking defense. Um, so we'll see. Um, but with that, it was a busy week, long long uh, segment, but a lot to cover. Thanks, Jay. And I, I, I think for Halloween, I'm going to send you a card of a picture of every team hoisting the Stanley Cup except for the Oilers. Oh. Just to scare you even more. So it sounds like you're pretty. And not the Sharks either. No. Well, <laughs> but no, it, it's, it's making me really excited for the, 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 the upcoming season. I mean, we haven't seen our Kings play in a very, very long time. So I'm certainly excited. James, I know you're excited for the Ducks to come back as well. So everyone's back or going to be back. But we're talking about the future instead of what's going on, so that's always fun too. All right, thanks, Traden. Uh, when we come back, we're going to finish it off uh, with Eric's segment. He's going to be talking about the most important position for every major sport when we come back. Welcome back, everybody. Eric, you're going to talk about the most important position for each major sport. Take it away. Yeah. Um, when I was thinking of an idea this week, Alex actually sparked my interest with this whole Mount Rushmore talking about the greatest, greatest guys of each sport, men and women, as we found out earlier. Um, but I'm going to start with basketball, the most crucial position to me, the center position, a.k.a. the five. Normally the tallest, strongest player on the team, most body mass, uh, as we've seen around the league, average about six feet, 10 inches or taller. This player is the rim protector and the defender, the guardian of the basket itself. Uh, their ability to protect their own zone, which is closest to the rim, in other words, is 
the most critical to me for high scoring efficiency and rebounds. In other words, second chances. Uh, when you have those, usually your team does better. Most teams that are dominant or successful usually have a big important center. Look at the Lakers with Anthony Davis. Um, look at other teams with good centers. <laughs> look at the Rockets. They get rid of their center. They're terrible. They're a joke. Fuck the Rockets. Uh, probably the best one I've seen. Shaquille O'Neal, seven feet, uh, one inches tall, 325 pounds, won four NBA championships, an MVP award, a Rookie of the Year award, three finals MVP awards. The list goes on. I think if the Lakers didn't have Shaq during those times, they may have not been as dominant. Of course, they had Kobe, but, uh, you know, pulling the whole three-peat uh, was necessary with Shaq. Uh, James, you talked about basketball bounce rush more earlier. Tell me about your position and greatest player of that position. Who is the opposite of the center? That'd be the point guard. Yeah, you're wrong. The point guard is definitely the most important player on the team by far. That's your play. That's your player coach on the court. He's going to be a primary ball handler. He's going to call plays. He's going to make sure people are where they're supposed to be. He gets – he can even call an audible, like, on the court. Can a center do that? No, because he's trying to box out some guy and trying his best to get up there and use his mass and whatnot to get rebounds. No, dude, he's not the best player in the – And then the no. point guard misses the shot, and then the center gets it back, and he gives it to the point guard and makes it again. So is that why the league right now is going towards a phase where they don't really use big men anymore? Do you see Yao Ming out there? Do you see Shaq out there anymore? No, you don't. <laughs> that's too much go back what do you forth. want with this it goes back and forth dude <laughs> it's like hockey you want speed and size right okay Anthony right, Davis isn't really a uh, center dude he's a power forward centers don't really go out there and shoot threes does Dwight Howard go out there and shoot threes very rarely no he sucks that's why okay for sure that's why you were talking about him earlier uh, Anthony Davis <laughs> not a center you're wrong he's a power forward that's what he's on 2k so that's what's right <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> uh, some of the most notable guys, though, CP3, we saw that in the playoffs in this last season as a whole. Uh, he pretty much brought the Thunder into contention using his leadership and assist skills. Without him, the Thunder would be nothing. Uh, he pretty much ran the show there. 17 points per game, 7 assists per game. Um, when it comes to players as a whole, just history that I've seen, a couple greats at point guard, Steve Nash. Hall of Famer, 14.3 points per game, 8.5 assists per game. Jason Kidd, also another Hall of Famer. And Steph Curry, first of all, like, he's known more for his three-point shooting and scoring and all that. But first and foremost, he puts people in the right position, runs the screen and roll, finds the open man, and runs that offense to perfection. Yeah, I mean, those guys are pretty good. Uh, we can agree to disagree. I think point guards are pretty <laughs> important, too. They're all pretty important, but, you know. We don't, we don't want to all agree here anyways. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's switch it over to baseball. Um, oh to me, I think we could all agree that the pitcher is the most important in baseball. It's kind of like the hockey goalie. Uh, they literally dictate the game pace. They control how the game ends up. You could really throw a fucking game away or you can dominate this game and have all your pitches basically just be your entire defense of the game. Uh, your body is meant to chuck a baseball over 90 times in one night, especially against someone not much farther away from you with a giant twig of wood ready to swing back at you. Uh, pitchers have all types of different styles. Whatever works for that player may just get the job done. It is a highly injury-prone position in most of the major sports, probably one of the toughest mental sports, mental positions I've ever seen in a sport. Um, 
most important pitcher I've ever seen. I know our baseball guys may just fucking scowl at this. Randy Johnson, a.k.a. the big unit. Uh, Four-time Cy Young award winner. uh, Consistent 2.63 ERA during those years. Also KO'd 329 batters in five straight seasons. One in all five of his appearances in the 2001 NLCS and World Series with a pair of complete game shutouts. And those five important playoff games, insane 1.08 ERA. Also accidentally killed a bird and made it explode uh, on a gnarly pitch, just a straight heater. And it was just a, a, one of the most freakish events in sports history when this bird just flew right in front of him. Was, I think it was a pigeon. I don't remember what kind of bird, Alex or Tyler. You guys can correct Whatever me. bird it was, it poofed. I think it was a Philadelphia Eagle, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, um, whatever it was, it exploded. It exploded and completely <laughs> vanished from the face of the earth. Yeah, Philly might just murder me for saying that. Uh, Traden, you talked baseball earlier. Tell me your position and your greatest player of that position. You guys are giving me the sport that really, like, makes me uncomfortable because I feel like I'm going to sound like a fucking idiot. But um, I definitely think that the starting pitcher is the most critical um, position. The entire kind of game is dictated around the pitcher. You know, you hear it in all of our discussions. Does this team have good pitching? Does this team have good pitching? That's all all we talk about. Um, You know, a bad pitching game for a starter can can and usually dispels disaster for for the team. I mean, you know, we, we see it time and time again. Um, every play starts with the pitch and, and the difficulty of that pitch to, you know, kind of dictates what happens. I mean, make an easy pitch and you get a Tatis grand slam when you're down by seven runs. You know, if you pitch well, you can alter opponents, you know, alter the opponent's confidence at the plate, turns a slugger into a shrugger. He's done. He's out. He's done. Um, the pitcher has the greatest influence on the outcome, in my opinion. Um, and I, you know, it's hard to name a championship team that didn't have a high caliber starting pitcher. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that you guys can name a bunch, but I, there's not very many. I can't imagine. Um, <laughs> I don't really know who to pick other than Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> and keep it down, Dodgers fans. Keep it down because it's going to give you guys a hard on. I know. For 13 seasons, Kershaw's been dominating the plate. 175 wins, 76 losses in the regular season, holding the best record in the league multiple seasons. He has a very strong career, RB, uh, 2.43 ERA, posting best ERA for straight seasons between 2011 and 2014. Um, he's been in the top eight, at least in the top eight for the Cy Young votes in eight of his 14 seasons, posting three Cy Young awards and one league MVP. Um, he, his record kind of speaks for itself, but it's not all great. He wilts, in, he wilts like a half in October, and that is the biggest setback for him. Um, he's... He has a pretty below average numbers in the postseason, or I guess average to below average. And ask any Dodgers fan how that's really turned out when it comes to Clayton Kershaw in the in the in the um, postseason. But regardless of his questionable postseason stats, he's one of the best pitchers I've ever seen. That's all I got for baseball. Yeah, Kershaw is. I got to give it to him a solid pitcher. The Dodgers could definitely use him right now. Um, but let's move on uh, to football. For me, the most important position, the safety. This is your safety, man. Your last line of defense to make a stop against the other team. Safeties are covering the middle and silence of the field usually against the deep threats and passes. Usually, they're the most reliable tackle tacklers and the hardest hitters on the field. What? 
Okay. <laughs> well, dude, no. What? <laughs> All right, hold on. And what are you recognizing it? a trend here? Yeah, for me, it's the idea of defense, your gatekeepers, your guardians, a pitcher, a center, a hockey goalie, of course, a safety. Okay, if your safety is shit, then you're just like the Eagles and you just lose a bunch of games. You don't have anyone that makes tackles. You lose in the end of the game. You lose the whole game. You lose. Uh, what position <laughs> has the most tackles on the team, typically? Safety. Linebacker. Safety has the most important tackles. The most important tackles. They also have the most blowing coverages. Yeah, exactly. So you want a good safety. And they must be the smartest defenders out on the field. They're used so even though they can only cover coverage. one side of the field, you want them to cover the entire thing. Uh, they they I don't have a ball, team the way. from scoring. <laughs> I'm just pull letting up, go. Up, <laughs> okay. They can they can make a they can make a play happen where they stop a team from scoring or winning a game, like losing a Super Bowl, like the Seahawks. <laughs> to me, that's important as fuck. The best safety I've seen is the cornerback. Yeah, but safety's just like it, <laughs> but even harder and better and more important. Uh, Troy Paul and Malu won two Super Bowls with the Steelers. Eight-time Pro Bowler inducted into the Football Hall of Fame this year. 770 tackles, 32 picks, 14 fumbles forced, three defensive touchdowns. One of the true commanders of that Steelers defense for many years of their success, which I watched them win two Super Bowls. Good thing they didn't win any more than that. Alex, you're probably going to disagree with me here, but, you know, we can't all agree. <laughs> uh, what do you got? Yeah, I did not have the safety. That was not what I was expecting you to say. <laughs> uh, I mean, really the answer is quarterback, but I don't want to talk about the quarterback. My actual pick was the linebacker. Um, he is the quarterback of that defense, and as we all know, defense wins championships. Uh, they're really the signal caller, signal caller of that defense. They can call audibles just like the quarterback can. Um, if you have a weak linebacking core, your defense is fucked, and then you have no chance. Um, some great ones, Bobby Wagner for the Seahawks. Um, those were legendary Seahawks defensive teams. And Luke Keekley, uh, who just retired, uh, one of the greatest linebackers of all time uh, down in the Carolina Panthers. Safety, though. Wow. <laughs> what a okay. pick. Wow. At, at least at least we both said defense. Just that is true. It's like ahead of the other guy by like 10 yards on the field when they when they set up. James, I know the football wasn't yours, but you've been just going Trump with the arms over there. Uh, wh what do you what are you thinking? I was gonna go with center, uh, the offensive side on the offensive line, which is very important. But those guys make the line calls, um, whether to shift your line to the left or the right based off pass protection. They call out blitzes. They are the first. Per they're the only person that touches the ball in every single play. Um, without a good center, you don't have a good line. Without a good line, your quarterback gets killed. You don't get offense. You lose the game. Simple as that. Boom. Ever since episode one, like we always just revert back to talking O line. So I, I remember I asked, "Is the O line important?" I guess they are. Um, so last sport, let's get into it. We're going to talk hockey. Trading may, may say a word or two, who knows? He'll probably agree with me. Of course, it's the goalie position is the most important, most responsible player, dictator, the final score, uncharted guardian of the ice kingdom. Hockey goalies have to have the biggest varieties of skill sets, positioning, ability to fill spaces. Even joint and tissue mobility in their body, quick and swift reaction times, rebound control, starting offensive clears and breakouts, 
the list goes on. Probably in my eyes, the hardest position of all major sports. Extremely mental. And even you see this, some amazing goalies shit the bed come playoff time. Even if they've led their teams in the past to a successful championship, they get the yips. Somehow it doesn't work out for them. It's weird. You think, what the hell, last year, you know, Bennington last year pulled his team all the way to game seven, winning a cup this year. Terrible. It can all be about the hot hand, which we've talked about before, and the timing of it. Uh, this is probably why goalies are weirdos, too. They're just always in their head. Uh, best goalie I've seen, maybe a little biased, guy, Jonathan Quick. This guy was critical for the both LA Kings' two fruitful Stanley Cups. His first run, a 1.40 GAA, which he ended up winning the Conn Smythe that year. That was his first Stanley Cup appearance ever. Two years later, he was one of the ultimate ice wizards, um, guarding defense, winning three game sevens on the road for the first time in Kings franchise history for their goaltenders. Uh, I literally remember him saving series with, with in, insane saves. Tyler, you talked hockey earlier. Let's hear what you got to fucking say. <laughs> I talked a lot of hockey on this podcast. I love it. A little change of pace for me. I disagree with goalie being the most important position. Mine, it's a close second to the centerman for hockey. Trading. Oh, there you go. That's, a, that's, a, that's an acceptable nod. Okay. Uh, for me, the centerman is the most important. It's a high-level skill position. Uh, you need to be flexible in positioning. You're covering the most ice of any player. Uh, you need to be strong. You need to be fast. Exceptional vision, intelligence, and creativity with the puck. Um, also need to play high-level defense. So you, it's really – you need the most skill of any player that's out there on the ice overall as an athlete and as a hockey player. Um, little fun facts for you. Of the 92 Hart Trophy winners, 50 of them have been centermen. And then, uh, and then 19 centers have won the Conn Smythe Trophy, which is more than any other position. So looking at those stats, those are guys that I think the NHL and the overall league respects as the best players in ice most of the time. Um, for me, the best current defenseman, I, I'm going to pick two real quick. Um, overall, in my lifetime that I've seen it for the whole career, Sidney Crosby. I know I wasn't giving him love earlier trading, so here we go. Uh, I do have some respect for that guy, the kid. Uh, amazing centerman, uh, one of the best of all time at that position. Um, currently, in, in terms of pure athleticism and skill, the best centerman in the league right now is Connor McDavid. Um, hands down, he, he's just the best, the best mm. centerman out there. Uh, a few honorable mentions, though, Patrice Bergeron, Nathan McKinnon, Steven Stamkos, and my boy Kopi, Anze Kopitar, one of the best, uh, led his team to two, to two cups. Uh, he's personally my favorite centerman for obvious reasons. Kings fan, go Kings go. Kobe's my boy. So yeah, NHL centerman. A lot of center talk tonight in both two different sports. Who would have thought? Uh, Trayden, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think you guys said it perfectly. You could have picked either of those two. I'll, I'll have that conversation with you, with you any day. Um, I half expected you to pick left wing, Eric, because you've been kind of like <laughs> picking the craziest that's my position dude no right wing <laughs> yeah well right now i think right wing is more value than left wing um, um but so i think i agree with you uh, you could pick either of the two i'll have that conversation um to pick jonathan quick over someone like martin Brodeur or or fucking anybody else is kind of crazy jonathan quick's an amazing goaltender he really really is 
but I don't know if he, he is in the top echelon of ones that have been in our era. You know, if you look at Martin Berger, Alex Adam on the on the Mount Rushmore. He is technically in our era. We can still consider him. We saw him. Most of us did. Yeah. You know who he lost to in a Stanley Cup one time? Jonathan Quick. Yeah. Uh, and I'll end it on that, guys. <laughs> yeah. No, no I'll, I'll give you that. He is amazing. Um, and Tyler, to say your centers and to pick the centers that you picked for sure. I would say if you're talking about a 200-foot game, um, the best centerman right now is Nathan McKinnon for sure because um, he just has that defensive prowess that McDavid has a little bit of catching up to do. Yeah, um, I think we uh, hit everything on the head. You know, I had all my crazy picks, but I justified them, and now everyone understands why they're the most important positions in sports. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Eric. Uh, that's going to wrap up this episode of TLDR Podcast. Uh, please make sure you like us, follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, subscribe to us on YouTube, like our videos, comment on our videos, let us know what you guys think, uh, share it with your friends, play it for your dog when you're not home. I'm sure the dog you know, wants to hear some friendly voices, some chit-chat over sports. Dogs like us too, I hope. Um, also remember, we're less than a month away from the election, so make sure uh, you're getting prepared to vote. Know where you're voting. If you're doing mail-in ballots, you should have gotten in the mail pretty soon, if not already. Eric's holding his up right now. Make sure you go to a uh, qualified mail drop box area to drop those off. Um, other than that, we hope you all have a fantastic week, and we'll see you later.